Well, here we are at an unprecedented <laughs> moment in date fight history. We are indeed. Let alone history history. Yeah. It's time for the first listener-decided results Wow! of a week of date fight podcasts. And what a week it has been. There have been turnarounds, there have been highs, there have been lows. Anyone who thought they knew what was going on with the public at any point this week <laughs> you sound is a fool. just like... Da, 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 Andrew Marr at the beginning of the announcement of the general election. <laughs> the winners are. Um, well, I, I like honestly, it's day? pathetic how intrigued I've been by this. I'm so ashamed of myself that uh, all week I haven't checked, I haven't looked at any of the polls anywhere. <laughs> so I genuinely have not a clue what's going on. Well, I've added <gasps> up all the results and I don't really have a clue what's going on either. So we have a choice to make. Yeah. Are we judging it by yeah. who won the most number of polls? Okay. Or or who, who you think should have won? No, no. <laughs> Given the fact that the Twitter and Facebook polls had different numbers of votes on them, who got the most the, the, votes for okay. each subject? Right. So it's the collegiate vote versus... Yeah. Or... <laughs> and who got the most votes in total for the entire week? Oh man! Lice. And I warn you, each one of those ways of calculating it has a different winner. How extraordinary! It, everything is down to this. That's extraordinary. Um, <laughs> what would you say instinctively is the most fair way of judging it? In my head, because yes. a week handily has an odd number of days. I mm-hmm. saw it as we'd see, well, who won each day on a day-by-day day day. basis? Well, we but can do that. I did run those on Twitter. If you haven't cut your cloth in that way, then that's, that's, that's fine. fine. That has, has, we've done it by subject, but we can, in the future, do it by day. No, it's um, fine. Uh, I don't have those results here to hand. I'll have to go to Jeremy Vine, who will step up. <laughs> yes, all the hexagons. Why don't you present all of those results in the order that you think makes for the most interesting okay. narrative arc. Well, the first one I did, the easiest one to calculate is just who won how many polls. Right. Now, interestingly, on Twitter and Facebook, we got a different result for each of them. So, on Twitter, Jake won five polls, mm-hmm. Nat won four polls, <laughs> and two were tied. <gasps> wow! This is so Brexit. I know. On Facebook... Jake won oh. five polls. Mm. Nat won six polls. Oh and zero goodness. were tied, leaving us with ten each and two or three two ties. So in, wow. if you go by who won the most polls, just as a blanket number, that's um, a tie. It's a complete draw. That's but, extraordinary. So if you go with the number of votes cast, mm. the total... But by subject So for example uh, The National Trust and Hattie Carraway Had more votes at the beginning of the week than we had by the end of the week Because the last day people only had half a day to vote Uh, So if you go Subject by subject Who won the most subjects by the number of votes cast Yes Jake wins Five Nat wins six Wow. But if you add all of the votes together for the whole week... Yes. Nat receives 180 votes, and yeah. Jake receives 184 votes. <laughs> <laughs> That's extraordinary. 
extraordinary. It's amazing. And actually, I had to... Now, if you try and go back and do the maths, they may have changed because one of them was left open, so I had to actually draw a line under it at midday and write a thing under the tweet saying, stop voting oh, on yeah. this, you're too late. Because it was changing in front of my eyes and those four votes went backward and forwards whilst I was watching. I said, no, please stop. Stop, stop it, stop it, stop, stop it. it. Those are the numbers I'm taking. Guys, it just shows how important it is to vote. Yeah, you okay, can't get out there you just never know. Guys, I don't care who you vote for. I do, I absolutely I really do. do. But please vote. I've never said that on social media. It doesn't matter who you vote for, just vote. It absolutely does. If you're going to vote yeah, for the wrong people, really... stay home. Sit at home, yes. read a book. <laughs> Watch an EastEnders omnibus. Oh. I don't know what this means, because we hadn't worked out what we were doing anyway. But it, it shows an exciting future for the voting for date fight it certainly does well I feel like you know with with these things with the systems in place in, mm. in the UK and in America and stuff the collegiate vote is always what wins and it sounds like you won that by I, one by one yeah I guess we should well congratulations first of all well thank you uh, but congratulations you're, getting you're the most votes there. during the week well thank you very much 184 to 182 mm, yeah. but hmm I don't know. There's a long way to go. Is there a forfeit? I can't remember. What did we say we do? I'm I'm gonna post a photo of myself on social media uh, with an appropriate slogan written across my forehead. <laughs> okay, that sounds brilliant. Fine. Uh, uh, if you would like to see Jake's tattooed forehead, um, check out social media at some point in the near future. Great. All right. Well, uh, from the ashes Lovely. of defeat, let me see if I can snatch another defeat. Let's kick off another week of date fighting. And here we go. Date fight! Well, so much for last week, because right here, right now in this podcast, we start afresh. Yes, we do. And we might as well kick straight off. So um, it sounds like we've got the same... Why don't we just get this one out? Round one! Let's get it out of the way. Let's go to the 19th of January, 1764, I'm assuming you're going to. Yeah. Yeah. When Bolle William Luxdorf, a Danish historian, wrote about a parcel that was sent to Cardinal Paulsen who opened it up. When he opened it, it says in his diary, when he opens it, there is to be found gunpowder and a... Firelock. Fire sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I couldn't read my own handwriting. Mm. Gunpowder and a firelock, which sets fire to it. So he became very injured, which is a nice way to say it. He became very injured yes. somehow. Oh, I've become injured. <laughs> <laughs> well, he saw a gun and a th- finger pulling the trigger of the gun, and he became very injured somehow. Yeah. I don't know what happened, officer. Well, funnily enough, that was there was a, a previous... Uh, parcel bomb, wasn't there? That that was exactly that. Robert Harley, Earl of Oxford. Yeah, (laughs) it was like that. Was three guns in a hat box. Yeah, and someone went, "Wait a minute, there's a thread there," and cut the thread. (laughs) Thus, yeah, brilliantly saving his life, saving the Earl of Oxford's life. Do you know who it was who cut the thread? No, who? Jonathan Swift. Good lord! It was Jonathan Swift who saw the thread, went and leaped towards it. Did they have? Ping. Did they have slow motion more in those I days? I imagine they must have done. Yeah, <laughs> you can't foil a mail bomb without there being one. Yeah. No. No. <laughs> uh, other mail bombs were uh, in 1919. An anarchist group in America sent 30 mail bombs, uh, including to Senator Thomas Hardwick. In 1939, the IRA sent 50 mail bombs. Crikey. Um, those are meant to explode in post boxes, though, rather than for individual people. And in 1961, Mossad sent one to uh, an ex-Nazi, 
and blew off his fingers. Oh, I, th- I think you mean his fingers go. became injured. His fingers became injured, that's right. And, his uh, fingers became very injured. And then there was the Unabomber who sent 16 mail bombs and took three lives. Wow. Just to bring this bit down a bit. Yeah, thanks very much. We all had a lot of hat box fun. Yeah. Now let's sit here in silence and contemplate the three people who lost their lives to the Unabomber. I was enjoying the hat box sort of it was that was let's go back to hat boxes sort of yeah. jolly and do we have a, do we know anything more about why someone was trying to kill colonel powelson colonel powelson uh no yeah no, no. I, d- I don't know why and there isn't very much on him either and oh who cares it was a long time ago <laughs> i know that's not the attitude for this podcast <laughs> that should be the top t- date fight who cares it was all a very long time ago <laughs> come on Come on. Happy birthday, son. Yeah. Happy birthday to Pulcheria, the regent of the Eastern Roman Empire. We had someone called Pulcheria yesterday. We've got a Pulcheria today, so she's pretty as well. Um, she had been queen regent with her for her younger brother, Theodorius. Um, and when she became regent, she took a vow of virginity. But when Theodorius died, she needed to marry in order to provide a successor to him. Um, so she took her husband, but insisted that he respect her oath of virginity. So, bad luck Pulcheria's husband. Also, happy birthday to Edgar Allan Poe, the super goth and raven fancier. Happy birthday to Tippy Hedron. And Tippy Hedron who was hired by Alfred Hitchcock after he saw her on one advert. He saw her in an advert on the television and had a contract for seven years sent to her. So, in her first film, The Birds, they said they were going to use mechanical birds in The Birds, but instead, for the final attack, she had five days of people throwing gulls and crows at her face. Yeah, well, that was because uh, she had refused to uh, oblige him. Yes. In a sort of a bedroomy way. And he killed her career. Yes, he kept her under contract, even after she'd done Marnie and the birds that's right and he he basically just suppressed her she she didn't get he didn't give her any other work and she wasn't allowed to take any other work and he killed her career simply because yeah she had a, i mean you know that that was very pre me too i can't imagine anything like that ever happens nowadays <laughs> well quite Melanie Griffith, who's her daughter, said that he spent so long... He wouldn't let her go home uh, between shoot days on uh, Marnie. And she said, remembering, thinking that Alfred Hitchcock was trying to take their mother away. Good God. He also wouldn't let anyone else speak to her on set apart from him. He was a very odd man. So happy birthday to P. Hedren, and no happy birthday to Alfred Awful Hitchcock. Yeah, I I was going to say, I I think he was an absolute rosser. And a very sick individual. Agreed. Happy death day to Pierre-Joseph Proudhon. Sorry? Who was the father of anarchism? Pierre-Joseph Proudhon. <laughs> the Sorry. father of anarchism and the... One more time. <laughs> Proudhon. Who? Proudhon. P-R-O-U-D-H-A-N. Okay. You know, the anarchist. It was good. He's got that thing. Property is theft. That's his. Oh, you know him. Yeah. He done that one. Also, happy death day to King Dagobert, who was the last of the Merovingian kings, who the... British king refused to meet with because he had three wives at the same time. He was told said to have the ruthlessness of Clovis and the cunning of Charlemagne, whatever that means. Also, happy death day to Hedy Lamarr. She was the first woman to 
simulate orgasm on screen, and she also invented Wi-Fi, or invented the system of flipping frequencies that led to the existence of Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, and GPS. Really? Um, yes. Yes, she's brilliant, Eddie Lamar. She was... Um, she also came up with a, some sort of precursor for radar, I think, and she was busy making in her trailer on set for things. She used to go back and just make inventions and then send them off to be patented. That's absolutely brilliant. astonishing. I had no idea. She was posthumously inducted into the National Inventors Hall of Fame in 2014 for her frequency-hopping spread-spectrum technology, which she came up with to stop the Axis powers working out where radio-controlled torpedoes were. Well done, her. Well done. That sounds really patronising because I couldn't possibly invent any of those things. So I shall just be in awe rather than expressing my approval. <laughs> I've got a story which, uh, on the face of it, looks pretty dull, uh, but it's mm-hmm. actually pretty exciting. This is the nineteenth <laughs> of January, seventeen sixty-four. Oh yes, and uh, John Wilkes, ah. uh, an MP. Mm. Tell me, you've, you've got it, haven't you? Nope. Have we got a double-double? No, good. I saw it and rejected it. Right. Well, how much of it did you know? He was expelled from the House of Commons. For? For seditious libel. Mm. But do you know what the libel was about? No, I don't know what the libel was about. I got as far as seditious libel and then didn't read any more. What was the seditious libel about? Just goes to show you never can tell. Sit back and enjoy. Uh, John Wilkes and his friend, Thomas Potter, Mm. wrote a pornographic poem which was dedicated to the courtesan Fanny Murray. <laughs> I see. It was called An Essay on Woman, and it was a parody of Alexander Pope's An Essay on Man. Uh-huh. Now, the thing was that John Montague, who was the fourth Earl of Sandwich, mm. got hold of a copy of this. Hang on, what year did you say this was? 1764. So that's presumably the same sandwich after whom the Sandwich Islands were named. Yes, in yesterday's thrilling episode yesterday's sandwich islands yes it's only 12 years well maybe it says a son or a, yeah i'm all about the sandwiches he was a bit of a one uh, he was a member of the hellfire club oh yes uh, which was a sort of pseudo satanic yeah thing where they had all kinds of parties and uh he got hold of a copy of this and he was very keen on this woman Fanny Murray, mm. uh, and sort of kept her as a kind of uh, courtesan. Is that the word I want to use? I think so. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was absolutely furious. And um, mainly because this guy, Wilkes, John Wilkes, oh, he was a card. He was like a sort of Jeremy Beadle of, of his time. Uh, he'd, he'd done a prank at one of the Hellfire Club's meetings uh, that involved the Earl of Sandwich. And he was mm. like, this is my chance for revenge. Um, Wilkes what he did was he he put on a seance at the club and just mucked about with it and scared him <laughs> so then sandwich was like leave john wilkes alone yeah uh, so then sandwich read the poem out to the house of lords in an effort to, oh. to denounce wilkes's moral behavior <laughs> they must have hated that oh no don't read yeah. all the dirty yeah, yeah. bits out yeah, yeah. to me this is the I best bit i mean the worst bit yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so the Lords declared the poem obscene and blasphemous after <laughs> 51 hearings. Very obscene, very blasphemous. Uh, yeah, uh, and it caused a great scandal. Read a bit more. And uh, in the end, Wilkes had to flee to Paris uh, before he was put on trial, and in absentia, he was found guilty of obscene libel and seditious libel and was declared an outlaw on the 19th of January, 1764. Nice. Uh, but Fanny Murray, 
I mean, it's one of those things that you think, oh, what a thing, being a courtesan and stuff. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she was orphaned at 12. She was a flower seller and she got picked up and then basically passed around rich men in London. <sighs> By the age of 14, she'd become a mistress. And that's when she moved to London. And at 17, she had become this kind of desirable thing that uh, w- w- one diary from from the day says uh, it was a vice not to be acquainted with fanny it was a crime not to toast her at every meal <laughs> awful people uh, no one comes out of that looking particularly good that story no not at all not even john wilkes she led the world in fashion and uh, i've had a very funny poem about her don't you know <laughs> yeah I don't know funny poem about your girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. How do? How do? Uh, John Montague, the fourth Earl of Sandwich, uh, he, he had a big nude portrait of her in his apartment, which he, he would show to his guests. Uh, I worked with someone once who came back from holidays, back in the day when people took pictures. Oh, yeah. Um, like physical photographs. And decided to show us his physical photographs of his holiday, which included uh, far too many of his girlfriend at the time topless on the beach they were on. And he lingered over those, he showed them to us. And this feels a little bit like that being unsettling. And you're not really sure what to do in that situation when the Earl of Sandwich shows you his massive portrait of his news girlfriend. Yeah, where would you put yourself? I mean, the food was good, was it? You had good food? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, The first line of the poem, by the way, uh, is, Awake, my fanny. And it compares her to the Virgin Mary. Well, let's go on to a time when the English really covered themselves in glory. (laughs) Which was the 19th of January, 1419, when Rouen surrendered to Henry V at the high point of the Hundred Years' War. Everything was doing brilliantly under Henry V. Partly because France was doing terribly under Charles VI, who was mad. So we were winning. Because <laughs> Charles VI thought he was made out of glass. I don't know how he knew he was made out of glass. Uh, but he refused to be touched in case he broke. Anyway, the, Rouen was the most formidably defended city that had yet been besieged in the Hundred Years' War. There were 60 towers. Each had three cannons. There were six gates with barbicans. A barbican is a fortified entrance to a gate. Ah, oh, thanks. Uh, just like the barbican in London yeah. was the... That was the fortified bit of the gate. You know, you can see a bit of the Roman wall going round the Barbican. Yeah. Well, that's where the Barbican bit was, the bit that the gate that stuck out. Oh, stuck wow. Out. Thanks, mate. There you go. I love moments like that. <laughs> You're great. In order to besiege uh, Rouen, Henry V put chains along the Seine so that nothing could go up and down the Seine. Um, but Rouen was going to wait to be saved by the Duke of Burgundy, John the Fearless. And when the Duke of Burgundy, John the Fearless, heard that Rouen had been besieged by the hated English, he hid in Paris and refused to come out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I didn't waste a second. (laughs) Quick, everyone, under the covers. (laughs) They got so hungry they sent out 12,000 of the town's poor, but Henry V wouldn't let them go. So essentially the town's poor then had to live under the walls of the town, uh, just eating nothing, uh, with the English watching them starve. They did feed them once on Christmas Day. Oh, wow. That's nice, isn't it? They then let them starve until January the 19th, when the town surrendered. It was a huge victory for the English, obviously, and led to the Treaty of Troyes, the next year, in which Henry V was made heir to the French throne. Unfortunately, he messed it up by dying very swiftly thereafter. 
Anyway, that just shows it doesn't matter who was in charge in the late medieval period. Life was probably terrible and some army or other was going to come up to your city and starve you. Perfect. But that's that's the high point of us being brilliant at having the Hundred Years' War. People are just so great, aren't they? I don't know how I don't know how regular listeners to this podcast have the will to live. <laughs> I just go out and talk it to feels anyone. Like we're becoming ever more disdainful of all of humankind all through it. Maybe the hope is, you know, the hope is that perhaps slowly, incrementally, we're getting a little bit better as a species. Well, I think we went on from that to male bombs. No, okay. You don't have to answer. And we finished up the male bombs went from quite <laughs> funny to unibomber. So if anything, we seem to be... Maybe we just find it easier to laugh at dead people okay. from a thousand years ago because their mum was probably not listening. Tragedy plus time and all that. Yeah. Okay, I mean, I was trying to sort of lift us out of it, but you decided <laughs> to take us straight back down. That's fine. Join us tomorrow for more tragedy and less time. <laughs> yes, Date Fight continues tomorrow. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, what a pivotal episode this one was, I imagine. Yes. And uh, do subscribe, do share, and we'll be back for more tomorrow morning. See you tomorrow.